Hi, my name is Pete Scazzaro. I want to welcome you today to the Emotionally Healthy Leader Podcast. So good to be with you. And today is part nine of this series we're calling Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. More specifically, it's called Go the Next Step to Develop a Rule of Life. Now, so far we've covered number one, part one, the problem of emotionally unhealthy spirituality and looking at the false self, specifically of Saul and how it cripples our leadership and our service to Jesus. Then we moved in part two on know yourself that you may know God, looking at David, who knew himself and knew God and released great power, both as a God follower and a leader, all of Israel was changed. Then we moved in part three to go back, to go forward, uh, and how our past impacts our present. Then part four was journey through the wall and how God uses walls and dark nights of the soul to free us from false layers that we carry with us. Uh, and become the men and women he's called us to be. In part five, we looked at enlarge your soul through grief and loss and how grief and loss also dismantles our self-will and empties our heart of junk that God might find space within us that's empty and free for him to fill. Then part six, we looked at discover the rhythms of the daily office and silence. Part seven, discover the rhythms of Sabbath, both and so not just in our days, but in our weeks. And then last week, we looked at grow into an emotionally mature adult and the importance of grounding ourselves and not simply loving God, but it translates into loving people. It comes out relationally. There's just so much underneath uh, the surface of each of these themes that we've explored. Uh, and today, we're going to dive into the, uh, the ninth one, go the next step to develop a rule of life. Now, next week, I'm going to nuance and apply these rich themes of emotionally healthy spirituality into real-life situations, both for you personally and in the church. So I'm going to invite you to send in questions uh, that you may have or challenges you're facing as you seek to apply this in your life personally uh, and or the ministry that you're leading. Uh, for example, some questions we received are, you know, how do I know the difference between a trial that I'm facing and a wall or a dark night of the soul? Or what's the best way to introduce emotionally healthy discipleship to a team that might have some resistance? Or what do I do if every one of us in leadership is overcommitted and overloaded and the culture itself uh, isn't willing or interested, at least right now, to slow down? So regardless, you can add to those questions. I want to invite you to take a few minutes uh, and go to emotionallyhealthy.org slash askpete. That's emotionallyhealthy.org slash askpete. And send me your questions and our challenge as you seek to integrate this material into your life, your leadership, and or your ministry culture. Okay, with that, let's dive into today's theme, go the next step to develop a rule of life. Now, when the emperor of Rome declared Constantine made Christianity legal uh, and easy, uh, in the Roman Empire in the early 300s, uh, it changed everything in the church. It became a time of compromise uh, in the church, and it became uh, almost impossible to distinguish those people who were living outside the church from those who were living inside the church. In other words, there was such worldliness that it was almost inseparable. And so what happened, men and women began to flee to the desert to seek God. Uh, because they recognized the church was like a shipwreck in need of salvation, and the world wasn't going to get saved until the church got itself right. And so they saw themselves as swimming for their lives and getting to God to get cleansed of the idols in their own heart so they could see clearly the idols inside the church and thus uh, free the church to be a gift to the whole world. 
and actually it was a great revival that broke out in the early 300s as the men and women fled to the deserts, specifically in Egypt initially and then Syria and other parts of the Mediterranean. And they fled in great numbers to create these alternative communities. No, I'm sorry, they first went as hermits. And then uh, the need arose for them to, to bond together into communities. And there was a fellow named Pacomius uh, in the early 300s also who was the first one to gather them around a structure or rule of life into a community. In fact, lots has been written about this revival that broke out in this time with thousands fleeing to the desert to get to God. And uh, it has been said that he had, according to, for example, John Cassian, uh, he had a community of 5,000 uh, monks. Others said 3,000. Some said 7,000. Jerome, one of the church fathers, made the outrageous claim that there was 50,000 Pacomian monks uh, when he was alive. And they all gathered around a rule of life, that is, a structure to organize their life around work, prayer, scripture, rest. And over the centuries, uh, these rules of life uh, became the staple of what we call today monastic communities. So for the last 2,000 years, the most famous of which, at least in the Western church, is the rule of St. Benedict. And it's a deep treasure. It's a buried treasure available to us. Now, what's interesting is that during, if you look at church history over the last 2,000 years, during times of compromise or crises, uh, there's often been, very often, consistently been new movements that have emerged, monastic movements, in particular reform movements, to call the church to, to God. For example, in the midst of the Crusades, uh, which was a terrible time in church history, uh, Francis of Assisi uh, gave away all of his wealth and began a movement for Jesus uh, towards the poor. And thus we have the Franciscans even to this day. So my history was I, I was struggling for years with the state of the church as I was pastoring in Queens, New York City, uh, with people being uh, way too busy uh, and uh, needing to slow down to be with God. And something drastic needed uh, for the church to get to God and, again, get cleansed of our idols that we might be able to be the church, this uh, countercultural prophetic community that's a gift to the world, a salt and light. And it was when I, went, when, when I began this exposure, this live exposure to monasticism and the Trappists in particular in the early 2000s, uh, even though I'd been reading prior to that, it was the life-changing experience of actually going uh, to be with these monastic communities uh, and realizing, oh, Lord, uh, this rule of life thing is an anchor. It is powerful. It is actually strong enough to slow us down and get us to refocus on Jesus in a radical way. And actually, it wasn't simply the, the rule of life. It's That's just one of the multiple gifts that uh, I believe we need out of the uh, Desert Fathers and the monastic movements of the last 2,000 years. It was silence. It was the rhythm of the daily office. It was Sabbath. It was a rule of life. And I saw the, the temptation, how common it was for folks to live off other people's spirituality, have a lot of head experience about God, but not heart. And I also saw the external forces of the culture and the world uh, seeking to cut off people from Jesus. And, and actually, there is an evil one who lures us and seduces us away from God and cuts us out of loving union with him. They're called satanic powers. And the deepest problem with church is, is actually not only these external enemies, uh, the world, the flesh, and, and the world and the devil, it's also our internal self-will. 
And, uh, and so what we have is we have lots of, quote, normal Christians in the West who are not very intentional, uh, very much on autopilot and following Jesus, busy, endless to-do tasks, lots of stuff to do, demanding jobs, bombarded by the media, noise, information, uh, running around way too fast in a, in a hurry. And very few have a conscious plan to cultivate their spiritual lives. Uh, and what I realized in beginning to engage seriously uh, the Trappist community in particular and looking at their rule of life and others was that, oh, yes, everyone's got a rule of life. That is, they have a plan of how they follow Jesus. It's just not conscious. They haven't thought about it. Oh, I go to church. I go to small group occasionally. I pray 10 minutes before I go to bed, etc. So a rule of life, actually the word rule isn't no, 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 no. It actually comes from an ancient Greek word that means trellis. Uh, think of a trellis that holds up grapes. Uh, it's a framework. It's a structure, a lattice work to enable uh, grapes to grow upward and outward. In the same way, a trellis is basically uh, a trellis of life or a rule of life is a, is a tool uh, to help us be fruitful and rich in Jesus. That, it's, it's, it's meant to enable us to abide in Jesus and bear much fruit. So I began um, actually in 2003, wrestling with, I mean, Jerry and I wondered, we were so impacted by our time uh, visiting different monasteries during our sabbatical that we wondered, might God be calling us to take our four daughters and move to a monastery? Because there are married, there are monasteries, ecumenical monasteries and interdenominational ones and even orthodox monasteries that we visited that take families. Uh, But it was clear to us that God was calling us to stay at our church uh, in urban New York City but bring the riches of the Desert Fathers and monasticism to our local church. And so there, I've talked to you already about silence and offices. And so one of the things I brought was a rule of life. I crafted a personal rule of life um, for myself, which I'll explain a bit later. Uh, then I actually moved our pastoral staff to a conscious rule of life, an agreed upon way that we would live together. Uh, I actually moved our elder board to a rule of life as well. It was a little bit different. And then also our administrative staff to a rule of life. And I actually uh, played with our membership and moved our membership class to a rule of life, a loose one for everyone in the church um, that we'd all agree this is how we're going to follow Jesus here at this particular local church uh, at the time. And that's why it is in the Emotionally Healthy Spirituality course. It's in the language of everything we call EH Discipleship because I want to be inviting people to draw from the riches of uh, the monastic tradition, the desert fathers and mothers. I want people to slow down and be anchored in Jesus. It's a great tool that over the last 20 years, I've been developing and adapting for work in missional local churches uh, like so many of us. So here's two big shifts I made, and I'll, I'll mention the first one briefly, but the second one I want to spend some time on. The first was I, I shifted my understanding of my role uh, as a leader, as a pastor, and that is I didn't want people living off my spirituality. I didn't want them living off sermons or uh, the Lord's Supper or the worship experience or even the great community found uh, in our fellowships and small groups. That my role, as it says in Ephesians 4, was to equip people to develop their own personal relationship with Jesus, was to get people connected to the head who is Jesus. Uh, that, w- that was huge for me. Um, and so the 
in a sense, I began to see the, my whole work and the work of the local church and our ministry as connecting people to Jesus, who is the vine. Uh, and again, that's the purpose and the whole focus of why we have why we developed over this 25-year, six-year period, uh, the Emotionally Healthy Discipleship Course, Part 1 and 2, uh, which, again, I want to encourage you to check out uh, a preview of it for free at emotionallyhealthy.org slash preview. Taste it. Um, again, the rule of life is mentioned there along with many other things we've been talking about here. And then you can dig into it on your own. But check it out. Pick it up. Or get a hold of the Emotionally Healthy Discipleship Course Leaders Kit Expanded Edition uh, and just dive into it. I don't know how to say it enough. I, 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 we're going to change culture. We're going to have to introduce new terms, uh, some missing pieces of discipleship to help our people actually take responsibility to cultivate their own relationship with Jesus in a community for the sake of the world. But where I really want to focus here uh, today is the impact or the place of a rule of life, crafting a rule of life for our identity as leaders and, and pastors. In other words, just like the desert fathers and mothers in the third century, fourth century and fifth century, uh, as leaders fled to the desert to be with God, we too need to make the radical decision to fashion a desert to be with Jesus. In other words, we may not be moving literally to a desert geographically, but that we're going to craft a lifestyle where we actually have a desert where we get to God, a place we get to God, uh, that we see ourselves identity-wise as leaders, that we're following uh, the story, the tradition of Moses, who lived in a desert for 40 years, and Elijah, who lived in a desert as he was a prophet in Israel, or John the Baptist, who spent his life in the desert before he emerged, and Jesus, who spent 40 years in the desert, uh, and these desert fathers and mothers who fled to the desert, as folks have done for the last 2,000 years, that we are, we are committed to being men and women uh, who seek God above all else. Uh, in other words, uh, that are, we're cultivating a life of being with Jesus uh, and not just being busy. You know, I read once that uh, uh, one of the theologians of the Orthodox churches in the Eastern part of the world said, the best way to enter Orthodox spirituality is to enter through its monast monasticism. And I thought to myself, hmm, the best way to enter Western Protestantism is through an MBA program. <laughs> you know, I went to seminary to come apart uh, years ago to get equipped to be with God. But I was so busy in seminary doing Greek, Hebrew, you know, systematic theology, etc. So much mental activity. Uh, I was appreciative of everything I learned, but there was little, if any time, for silence or listening. There was a, of, to God, there was just a whirlwind of information that I couldn't absorb and it really reflected our tradition, uh, which is we're rich in so many things, uh, but we're very busy and very active, just like the world. And so as a result, there's a lack of depth, rest, and reflection uh, in so many of us because of how we've been formed. And yet that impacts everything that we do, everything we touch as leaders. And like the Mary and Martha story, we're just off balance. We've got way more activity for God going on in our lives than our inner life can sustain. But let me, let me give you three stories uh, from church history of what, why, what I'm talking about and why this is so important. Uh, the first comes from Anthony, about Anthony, uh, who's often considered the first desert father. And he, he, he said this, one of his sayings. He said, fish die 
if they stay a long time out of water. In the same way, monks who hang outside their cells lose the intensity of their peace. We have to rush back to our cells like fish to the sea for fear we will forget our inner vigilance if we stay outside too long. And what he was saying is that, and it's one of the very, very famous sayings of the Desert Fathers that has passed on for these last 2,000 years, is that we've got to be alone and in the disciplines of silence and solitude in particular with God. Uh, like fish need to be in water. We just can't be busy all the time. Uh, I'm not talking about having a quiet time on the bus or in the car at a traffic light or 15 minutes before we're off to the races. He says fish will die for lack of water. Uh, they've got to get back to water to survive. Well, in the same way, uh, every leader, every one of us, regardless of our roles, have got to fashion some, and they called it cells or their huts, uh, they would fa- they would create in the desert. For me, it's a chair with their silence. Before I began this podcast, I sat in my chair here. I'm looking here to my right uh, and just had silence uh, before I began this podcast. Uh, silence and daily offices and Sabbaths, just whatever it looks like for you. I went to the beach yesterday and uh, was there in silence. It was a, it was part of my uh, cell uh, yesterday of being alone. But a second theme story comes from another Desert Father called Theodore of Fermi. And uh, one of the themes you read about in, in early church history was how often uh, these Desert Fathers and mothers would flee uh, from ordination. Now, it says in 1 Timothy 3, 1, if anyone desires the work of an overseer, he desires a beautiful thing, a good thing, a noble thing. So it's a great thing. But it's interesting how they have this theme of running away from it. And here's a story about Theodore Fermi. It goes like this. He was invited to be a deacon, which basically would be like a priest or a leader. But he would always say no, and he would run away. And every time they would bring him back and say, please don't leave, be a deacon. And finally, he said to them, let me pray to God so that he may tell me for sure whether I ought to function publicly as a deacon. So he prayed to God in this way. Lord, if it be your will that I stand in this place, make me certain of it. And then appeared to him a pillar or a column of fire reaching from earth to heaven. And a voice said, if you can become like this pillar of fire, go and be a deacon. On hearing this, he decided not to accept the office. His struggle was that this personal summons to become fire was necessary to serve in a specific, visible leadership role in the church. He realized that ordination involved some sort of attempt to lay hold of a destiny that would take a life of prayer and watchfulness to grow into, a lifetime to grow into, perhaps, And so for Theodore to be a deacon would be to lay hold of that destiny and laying claim to a spiritual maturity that was yet not real inside of him. Rowan Williams, the former Archbishop of Canterbury, uh, he said this about this story of Theodore Fermi. He said, this story ought to make every one of us in leadership feel uncomfortable. It sure does me. For exercising a public role in the church's worship involves standing in the furnace of God's action that unites heaven and earth. 
And he concludes, if we can't see this is a dangerous place, we have missed something. Love that. In other words, leadership is an spiritually intense place. That's why it's so important that you and me, that we, cr- we craft uh, a structure, a trellis, a rule of life, as it was called, uh, to ensure that we're receiving and giving the love of God, that we're anchored in abiding in Jesus in a real significant way. The third story comes from Bernard of Clairvaux. Uh, He was a 12th century abbot of Clairvaux in France. And it was said that he was such a powerful personality that his powers of persuasion were so great that mothers hid their children from him and wives their husband, but that he would draw them into a contemplative life. uh, But he would deny the active apostolic ministry to everyone except those who were first contemplative, uh, contemplatives, monks. Uh, he had no patience for an activism that was not nourished by an interior life with God. He called it the sin of laziness, the sin of sloth. It was the busyness that cannot bear, he wrote, the effort demanded by a life of solitude and recollection. And so when one of his spiritual sons, Eugene III, became pope, He was concerned that his interior life was not sufficient to cope with the responsibilities he was now carrying because he was not a good monk. So he warned him, Eugene III, about being engaged in too much activity before the time was ripe. In other words, to make sure that he limited his activity of leadership, he was over the whole Western church, and make sure that he was grounding himself deeply in the interior life of being with God. Now, we are to lead out of a place of emotional and spiritual fullness. That is no easy task. By emotional fullness, I'm talking about a high level of awareness, what's going on inside of us, our weakness, our limits, our feelings, etc., how others experience us, but also spiritual fullness. That is that we've got a being with God to sustain our doing for God, that we're not engaging in more activities than our cup can sustain. In other words, We're receiving enough from God to do for God. And we've got healthy rhythms. When we get off base and feeling depleted, we can pivot and shift and adjust our schedules. And because we recognize that the greatest gift we give the world and the people we serve is our being with God. In other words, you've heard me say it often, you cannot give what you do not possess. What you do is more important than who you are. I'm sorry, what you do is important, but who you are is way more important. And the state you are in is the state you give to others. We are actually, our being is like we are icebreaker ships. Think of icebreaker ships. Have you ever seen pictures of them? They, they, they cut through the thickest of ice in places like the Arctic or, or uh, Russia. But because of their weight and their design and their power, they can cut through 12 to 15 feet of thick ice. And once they do so, other ships can follow behind them. Well, in some ways, your life and my life as leaders, we're meant to be like icebreaker ships. We break through hard ice, 12 to 15 foot thick, um, and uh, what I would call faulty spiritual formation. Uh, It's it's the formation spiritually or discipleship that's got 85% of people stuck in our churches. Uh, And we break up that thick ice first in ourselves, and then we help so other people can kind of follow behind us. We're opening up a rich, expansive pathway for people in their relationship with Jesus. And we're introducing people to a whole new paradigm of discipleship that's so far-reaching that nothing's untouched by it. We're introducing people to a whole new culture and operating system. But it begins with us first. We change. I change. Then those around me slowly change. And then over time, the whole culture changes. That's the way we do things around here, people will say. 
but we can't talk about changing our ministries without deeply letting God change us. So it's us, our team, and then our ministry. That's why Benedict wrote, your way of acting should be different from the world's way. The love of Christ must come before all else. So I spent some years uh, taking Benedict's rule, uh, and as many oblate communities have done, help people who, like us who are active, uh, not living behind cloistered walls, how do we develop a rule of life? And uh, broke it up into four areas, prayer, rest, relationships, and works, work. And uh, how can you create a rule of life? How can I create one? And how do I create a structure and a rhythm to live in attention to God all through my days? How do I pay attention to him? And so I'm going to just share a couple of comments about mine. And I'm going to invite you to do the same. Uh, because we have uh, a, a free worksheet and explanation of it. And actually, uh, mine as well is there with the four quadrants, and you can develop your own. It's a free kind of a team transformational uh, workshop. Just go to Team Transformational Videos, where it says emotionallyhealthy.org slash team, and check it out. Uh, but I'm just take a few comments to give you a sense of mine, okay? So imagine these, these four quadrants here in front of me. On this page, the center of it is the love of God, receive and give. So the question is, how do I stay anchored in the love of God? So in the prayer quadrant, I've got on the left top, I've got things like weekly Sabbath, daily offices, three to four days a week. I'm studying the book of Romans manuscript-wise um, each day. I'm reading uh, a couple of devotional books. I journal regularly. I do silence and stillness, minimally 20 minutes each morning and then throughout the day a couple of times. I do the daily examine. Under rest, I've got things like exercise five, six times a week and uh, read broadly, uh, conversations with mentors, rich, great Sabbaths outside New York City. I limit social media. Under relationships, I've got things like skin to skin with Jerry and I'm engaged with my four daughters and uh, grandchildren. I stay in good communication with my siblings. I stay connected to close friends. And then under work, I've got things like write, uh, uh, writing. I've got this podcast is part of my work weekly. Uh, we have a cohort, an intensive cohort of eight couples. Um, I read and study uh, broadly. I lead the Emotionally Healthy Discipleship course for pastors and leaders. Um, I engage in Twitter and Instagram and Facebook as part of my work life, etc. But it gives you a sense of what that might look like. So again, go to emotionallyhealthy.org slash team and look at the, at the, uh, the experience called Crafting a Rule of Life. Download it. You've got some PowerPoint, you've got some handouts, and uh, you'll get at least the, the handout and how you can at least begin to take some first steps to craft a rule of life. But again, you can't do this unless you embrace limits because it's all about limits. You can't, you, you know, you're, you have limited time, energy, and, um, and gifts, but God's given you these limits as a gift. And you're to tailor, in a sense, an approach that fits your unique uh, personhoods, personality, and temperament. The greatest gift that you can give, the greatest gift that I can give uh, the world and the people we serve in the church or ministry is to be a man or a woman of God. I, I like what Thomas Aquinas, he, he, he shared about what, what, in a sense, our calling is, is that we have, a ta we have such a taste of God that there's nothing else we would wish for. That we know God's love, with his, which is loyal, of course, but it's also passionate, and it's marked by ecstasy and joy for us. That we know this joy, that we were built for a joy that nothing in the world could ever satisfy. We were built for a feast that nothing in the world could ever come close to. That, in a sense, we get to a place where we cannot 
not want his massive love, that this springs from the innermost core of our being and this and the craving for God becomes in us so boundless that it's almost terrifying. And if the whole world were given to you and the whole world were giving to me, we'd say, it's too little. In fact, all the joys in everyday life, they're just a foretaste. They're just an icon of what's to come. And so we hold them loosely. We enjoy them. But our lives are about being good soil, not on the path, not rocky, not thorny. And that we agree with, as Burton said, every moment of every event of every person's life plants something in his soul. And just as the wind carries thousands of winged seeds, so every moment brings with it germs of spiritual vitality. But most of these seeds are lost because we're not prepared to receive them. Uh, so again, let me let me invite you that that, that this, one thing about take the next steps to develop a rule of life, that you take this very seriously for yourself because the greatest gift you can give those you love is to get to God to be anchored in God, to let him shape you and mold you into a man, a woman of God. So take a few minutes and uh, again, go to emotionallyhealthy.org slash ask Pete and send me some real life, quest- real life questions you're holding about integrating uh, this kind of stuff into your life, into your leadership, into the culture, uh, ministry culture you're leading and or go to emotionallyhealthy.org slash preview and check out the EH Discipleship course, because again, that's going to be the primary means to be bringing this radical counterculture into your ministry and into those around you. So let's close with one minute of silence and stillness before the Lord together. Let's take a deep breath and let's be still before the Lord and know him in a way that only silence and stillness can offer to us. Let's begin. Amen, everybody. Thank you so much. It's been so good to be with you. You have a great day.